Ah, feel that sunshine. Yes. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the sensation of all this jacuzzi water being uh, evaporated off me right now. <laughs> Not that I didn't appreciate the vibe we had going at the end of the last episode, but I think Spotless Summer Act, Spotless Summer Zone Act Two, was actually confused as to what level it was supposed to be. The summer and the dungeon forces were fighting each other, yeah. and kind of coming to this strange amalgamation. So we have decided to let that take its course while we enjoy more sunshine up here in the overworld. It's almost like I drowned in the jacuzzi. That most ironic of deaths. <laughs> Do you think you you did? Um, yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, actually, I... Oh, no wonder. <laughs> what? The only reason you can see me right now is because I'm asking Mad Gear for a life. Oh. Uh, oh, man. Specifically, Bruce Irons. Uh, Bruce Irons doesn't have any life to give right now, um, but maybe after this first song, he'll gain a life and he could bring me back into the game. All right. Well, let's give it a try. Our first track comes to us from... Oh, wait a minute. Haha! Rewind. Uh Hey, everybody, and welcome to the VGM Jukebox. I'm Emily. And I'm Josh's Ghost. Each week we play tunes recommended by you, our patrons, and we also read your testimonials. Sorry, I was in such a rush to re-manifest you that I almost skipped the opening. So let's do it. Let's listen to this track. This comes to us from St. John of Nerd Noise Radio. The game is Cosmic Carnage for the Sega 32X. The track is Silix Stage, fully armored, and the composer is Hikoshi Hashimoto. Let's have a listen. John writes, Have you ever had a specific piece of video game music show up in a dream? More importantly, has its appearance in your dream ever had any lasting impact on how you felt about the track? This has happened to me once, and as best as I can recall, only, only once. For that story, let me take you back to a dream I had all the way back in 20-03. Smiley face. I'm in some sort of laboratory, though I am not the subject or focus of this lab study. In fact, the lab's exact purpose was never revealed. I'm in a green-tiled room with darkened windows all about and bright, brilliantly white lights overhead. 
People all about me in white lab coats are bustling about, working on various things, or moving from station to station. They pay me no mind, and I only pay them very little in return. What has my attention is this. Situated in the very center of the room is this thin, ornate, concave, curved pillar of brilliant white marble, and seated, at, uh, seated atop of it was a computer monitor with activity on the screen. I walk up to this monitor, and as soon as my eyes are fully trained on the screen and its contents, this piece of VGM starts playing. It's Silic Heavy Armor from Cosmic Carnage on the 32X. It was playing just a tiny bit slower than it does in real life. Not PAL slow, but if NTSC is 60Hz and PAL is 50, then it was playing in what I would envision 55 to 57Hz to sound like. Its slowness only seemed to make each note feel more substantial and impactful, and each little bit of emotion more extreme. What activity did I find on the screen? The background was a slideshow of space scenes, most of which were actual background graphic layers from Cosmic Carnage, though many of them, no doubt, were inventions of my own mind in the style of Cosmic Carnage background graphic layers. The only other object on the screen was a Windows 95-style pop-up box with an installer progress bar. It didn't specify what was installing, in fact it had no words on it at all, but it was clearly a progress bar of some sort, and it was progressing. The next part is a little bit harder to explain. Do you know how when you're watching, like, a keynote presentation and you'll see a man standing on stage with a slideshow presentation on the wall behind him, and then the feed will switch from the camera of the man and the presentation on the wall to a direct feed of the slideshow itself? Okay, that's sort of what happened next in my dream. One moment, I'm standing there looking at the computer screen, the screen is my main focus, but I can perceive the border of the monitor and the lab around me in my periphery. The next minute, all I perceive is the content of the screen, as if the feed in my brain switched from the camera of my eyes on the presentation of the monitor to the direct feed of the monitor itself. Does that description make sense? Yes, it does. The impact of this change was to create a sensation of being drawn even deeper into the music, of being awash and saturated in it, and more importantly, of its being drawn even deeper into me. I continue in this state for a little while, and then I wake up. Fascinating dream, no? Perhaps more fascinating yet is the real-world impact this dream had on my life outside of the land of dreams. I've had Cosmic Carnage since Christmas 1994 when I got the 32X, so for a really long time, even as of 2003 when this dream occurred. I've always thought it had a good soundtrack, and I always liked this particular track well enough. But upon waking from this dream, I woke up now madly in love with this track, and to a lesser extent with the soundtrack at large. It instantly became one of my favorites, quite literally overnight, and has remained so to this day, with the star of the show being, you guessed it, Silic Heavy Armor. Presented to you in standard 60Hz NTSC tempo, Silic Heavy Armor from Cosmic Carnage on the 32X, composed by Hikoshi Hashimoto, Sweet Dreams, Smiley Face. Hmm. Wow. Well, got a lot to say about that. I'm surprised that he feels, for one thing, that he got basically this exact song in his dream. Usually when I think I'm hearing a song in a dream, it's like changed in some way. Mm. But he sounds pretty confident that he had the entire song basically downloaded and ready to play. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. The direct feed into his brain of this tune. That. Yeah, so that's cool. And also, I think we all know the feeling of watching a TV and then going inside the TV in a dream, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. My video game dreams are so bizarre because 
they do kind of like what St. John is describing of the feed switching between the direct feed of the camera and then also his actual perspective. Most dreams that I have that involve my playing a video game are a blend of reality and the game to the point where it's sort of hard to tell where one is ending and one is beginning. It's like, I, Keyglyph, will be literally physically in a mansion, but I'll understand that I'm playing the game of Resident Evil, but I'm really in it. Mm. So it's sort of like some kind of VR situation, but I kind of like, I know the rules and I know that I want to quit, but I can't or something like that, but it doesn't. That would be as if I were walking around in the real world thinking, yeah, I don't like this level. I just want to quit it and thinking that would actually work. So it's sort of, I, I like those sort of strange mashups. They're really interesting. And as far as the music goes in terms of dreaming video game tunes, I do this all the time. I wake up with a track playing and sometimes I don't even know what it is and I'll spend the morning trying to figure out what it is. Um, the one example I can think of of my my feelings toward a track kind of blooming into their own, I believe I've explained on the podcast before. Uh, it was right after I bought the cartridge for Wiz and Liz at a thrift, uh, not, not a thrift store, at a flea market. And I had only played it for like an, a few levels before I realized that I had a fever and I needed to sleep. And in my sleep, I just heard the tune from the snow level over and over and over and over again. And when I woke up, I thought, my life is changed forever. Mm. This track is so, it's so awesome that I only heard it loop maybe three times and I could dream it perfectly. And now it's a part of my soul, the very fabric of my soul. And this game is a soul game forever. <laughs> so I definitely had that experience of waking up and feeling like I'd had some kind of religious experience with VGM. We should all try to um, get this song into our dreams. Oh, and then like share? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to try to listen to it as I drift off maybe uh, later tonight. That is a cool idea. I don't think I'll be able to get it into my dream, but maybe, you know? I don't know anything about this game. It's. It, I like this story though because it it's kind of a story like from the pre-podcast era uh, that shows how much a song could kind of, like a video game music song could kind of um, make itself known to you, you know, or uh, become a favorite song kind of unconsciously or whatever. Yeah. Even with like the Super Mario Brothers song, which I know is very well known now, I think there was a time even where you're like, oh yeah, I actually know that song and it's from a game. Weird, you know? Oh, true, yeah, because, you know, I don't know how many people were really sitting and digesting, picking apart the Mar Mario theme, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, love dreams. I wish I had <laughs> them all good. the time. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you dream frequently? Or not so much. You know, there'll be like a week or something where I just have tons of dreams and then my whatever, my patterns will change and I'll just kind of have just vague, vague reminiscence of my dreams. But yeah, sometimes so, I do. so interesting to me because I dream every night and I remember at least part of my dreams, if not 
a very long, elaborate narrative. So it's so interesting to me that a lot of people just don't or don't remember. Wow. So you remember your dream from last night? I do. What was it? <laughs> it was a nightmare. Oh. <laughs> it was a podcast-related nightmare, actually. <gasps> oh no. Maybe I can uh, maybe I can talk about it a little bit over the next track. All right. The next track will make it funny okay. if, I, if I if I if I talk about it over that track. All right. So Bruce Irons, can I have a life? Thanks, dude. Oh, so great. Look at this community spirit. All right. Now I'm going to walk up to the haunted jukebox. Who never had a life of its own. No, who once did, but I don't know how to give it like a real... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Joe P. recommended this next track. It's from Shining Force 2. The song is Lively Town. Motoaki Takenouchi for that old system Sega Genesis let's take a listen done with my time traveling. From the way my previous recommendations went, it sounded like I jumped from episode 50 then backwards to episode 38. I love the idea that I'm constantly jumping between different periods of time. Joe P, the ultimate time traveler. Anywho, my previous recommendations were closer to the current era, so I might as well jump backward to something older that I enjoy. After listening to LMH, I found myself humming this song in my head daily. I didn't grow up on the Shining Force series, and thanks to Lovely Town, I regret every minute of it. 
The bouncy feeling of such a lively town puts a smile on my face every day. Yes, every day. This is currently my alarm that wakes me up for work every morning. No better start to the day than being bubbly and bouncy right out of bed. Keep on rocking, you guys. Oh, and before I forget, Game Underground is finally coming back. They found a new place in Waltham, and they should <laughs> hopefully be opening up soon. Awesome! That's Waltham. That's called Waltham? It's Waltham, but, uh, you know, if, if I got- Boston pronunciation were more consistent, it would be Waltham. And I say Waltham because I think that's funny. I am so jealous of the East Coast and their weird ways of pronouncing different things that are... (laughs) Things that seem like they should be straightforward. Yeah. Or sometimes there are, like, two towns, right, that are, like, named the same, but people pronounce them differently. Oh, probably. You know, something that fascinated me, the last time I was in California for the, the LMH recording, both Nicole and the Gabe made reference to the same town in New Jersey, and they both pronounced it incorrectly, but the same way. So I think you guys all say it the same way and incorrectly. What is it? They were they were saying Hoboken. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Hoboken. Ho- Hoboken. Oh, okay. I just thought that was really interesting. You know what? I think in a... Yeah, I am jealous of that. Like, the spelling of word... Worcestershire and stuff like that. Worcester. Uh, yeah. I think in LA or the you know the West Coast we have like a lot of Spanish words that we all have our way of pronouncing that might right, not yeah. make sense or whatever. Like if somebody were to say, um, "Oh, did you go to Los Feliz?" We'd be like, "No, it's Los Feliz." Everybody just knows uh, that, but it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Or La Cienega. Oh, no. La Cienega. Or something like that. La Cienega. Yeah. Do you like that one? La Cienega. I do like that one. That's good. That feels good. Yeah, we got some... We got some. Uh... La Cienega. I think that's how it would be in Spanish. We got some weird stuff over here. We have there are a lot of things that you don't know how to pronounce until you hear somebody say them. There's just no way. Like there's a street um, in Massachusetts called Kachitawit, and there's just no way that I would ever have been able to come to that conclusion from the way that it's spelled. Nobody can spell Worcester or pronounce it properly. Everybody thinks that Worcester and and like Worcestershire sauce or whatever that is is the same thing, but it's not. They're two totally different words, did so she, much so that I can't pronounce the sauce. Did you say Kachitawit? Wait, what did you say? Kachitawit. 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 That's so great. <laughs> and we have, you know, a town uh, spelled D-E-D-H-A-M, so you'd think that would be Deadham, but it's Dedham. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to be cool with uh, Waltham, or Waltham. Wait, what is it again? Walt- it's Waltham, Waltham, but it should be Waltham. But so I, I you even know. want it to be Waltham, just like no, Waltham. Yeah, <laughs> Waltham. You don't even say the H, and the T becomes a D. So I'm wondering right now, should we address what happened at the end of last week's episode, or should we actually re-record that? 
what? The ending of the last episode? Yeah. I think we should leave it as is, and I think we should explain it. Okay, let's do that. Do we want to... Ex- well, I need to tell you my dream. Oh, right, right, right. So do we want to explain that over the next track? How about we... Put that in the, the side pocket on the afterburn? Oh, right, right, right. Let's tell your dream now, because it has to be... Uh, it has to be to this track because it was so stupid. Okay. It was such a stupid dream, but it made me feel so bad. Mm. So, uh, and actually, it's it's actually great timing to talk about because something I did want to talk about on this episode was the fact that it is now known that Pixel Tunes Radio is in fact over, but that Ed and Mike are in full swing with their own shows that are kind of birthing off of pixel tunes radio so there's hope and positivity and and optimism in uh in looking forward to their new shows and my dream was about their new shows Hmm. so i dreamt that i was in this uh like lodge bar i don't know how else to explain it and that mike was going to be recording an episode of his new show and i was in charge of recording it so I'm getting the computer set up and I'm getting the microphone set up and stuff. And there are a lot of people there and I'm nervous because I don't have a whole lot of time before we have to get this thing rolling. And Ed was there too. And Ed was like, oh, you should look up sound effects that you can like play during the podcast because that would be really funny. Just download a few and then patch it in like this and it'll be great. And how are you doing this and how are you doing that? And I was just starting to feel like really kind of stressed out because I was feeling like I needed to do something for everybody but I knew that I didn't have enough time to really plan it out to make it all function correctly so I'm looking up these sound effects that I'm going to pepper into the show like five minutes before the show is beginning and I'm even still looking up the sound effects while they're recording and I'm so distracted that I didn't realize that the USB microphone was not plugged in I don't realize this until after we finished recording the show in the dream the actual recording of the show sounded just as good as any Pixel Tunes radio podcast ever did, but I knew that my mic hadn't picked it up because I hadn't plugged it in, and I didn't want to tell them that I had made such a noob mistake, you know, because I felt so bad about it. So I was sort of like trying to say, "Oh, you know, it'll it'll sound better in subsequent recordings because I'll have a better handle on." the different settings that we need or something but I didn't want to have to tell them that I didn't have the freaking microphone plugged in so then I just felt like a fraud so I actually woke up in a bad mood today because I was feeling all these feelings of like I had a job to do and I screwed it up and I screwed it up in in the most unbelievably ridiculous way you know recording 101 so that was my dream last night it's feeling like an imposter but Mike was happy with the recording, so... I mean, that's really all that matters. Well, I definitely look forward to hearing more about your dream on the playback, but I cannot hear you basically at all right now. Oh, really? Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. So, I'm not sure if we should wrap this up or push ahead... Do we want to just... How about this? How about we... We stop recording for today, and then we just record the second half another day? Okay. And you can time travel back and listen to my... Uh... 
my story after it gets published. Okay, okay. Or when you're mixing it. So you can be just like Joe P, ultimate time traveler. We aren't going to time travel out of this recording because Spectrum is not working as a service right now. <laughs> um, so, but you, dear listener, don't have to wait at all. We'll be That's right. right back in one second or something It'll like that. It'll be like we never left. All right. Well, but I'll see you later, Emily. Okay, Okay. transporting out. All right, bye. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, what a trip. Yeah, that was some crazy time traveling. That was, and I don't know about you, but I got so much done just now, and so many things happened just then. Hmm. Well, I did some stuff with you, I know that, but other than that, I I don't know. What did you get done? So I made a doctor's appointment for this brand new migraine drug that just came out. Very exciting. Okay. I finalized my Twitch stream setup and tested it to make sure that it worked. Mm Mm-hmm. I bought a second S-Class exotic starship in No Man's Sky. Mm-hmm. And, possibly most importantly, we got our pixel portraits done by the Dyad. Oh, yeah. That was cool. Because we went to the zoo, and there was that, uh, the Dyad was there <laughs> making portraits. Yeah, in a caricature booth with, like, a touch screen. Yeah. <clears throat> Is the yeah. Nintendo Zoo. Yeah, I, Nintendo Zoo. I actually really prefer, like, 8-bit animals to uh, Mm. the real ones but uh we also were on rhythm and pixels that's right yeah got that done too so that was like a crazy side mission actually that was maybe that's how we showed up with them yeah right when we jumped back in time we suddenly appeared on their podcast with haju and pieces and we're like oh crud yeah too bad our memories were erased and altered, though. But that's okay. Anyways, um, yeah, yeah. I, I still remember the things that I wanted to talk about that I said I was going to talk about. But let's move on to the next track so we could talk about it over Excellent. that. Okay, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Our next track comes to us from Patron Marsh. This is from The Legend of Zelda for the NES, Kinda. Uh. The track is, is Ravel's Bolero. And it was composed by Maurice Ravel and then arranged by XXNickPXX. Okay. I'll explain this when we come back. But for now, let's listen. Thank you. 
Marsh writes, Guys, this is my last track submission ever, so I thought I'd do something a little different. Believe it or not, this track was actually supposed to be the main theme from the original Legend of Zelda on the NES. Composer Kochi Kondo originally planned on using this famous piece of classical music, Ravel's Bolero, as the title theme from, for Zelda. But at the last minute, Nintendo learned Bolero was still under copyright. In just one day, Kondo wrote the Zelda theme we all know and love today. The track you just heard was not made by Kondo, it's a fan recreation of what Bolero might have sounded like on the NES. Can you imagine how different Zelda would be if this was the theme we all knew instead? Personally, I don't think it fits Zelda that well, but maybe it would have if we all had years of treasured memories with this song. Anyway, I just wanted to say how much I have enjoyed the podcast over the last few years. It's funny to think about, but even though I never met you two, I spent probably more than a hundred hours with you both. I know making this podcast every week wasn't easy. Thanks so much, Emily and Josh, two friends I've never met. Aww. And thank you, Marsh. I know what it's like to spend hundreds of hours with people uh, through the magic of podcast mm, technology. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I'm glad we got to be friends with you. Yes, I agree. This is an interesting submission. It's like almost technically a chip tune, almost technically almost classical music or something. It's very, right. very illegal. By Do we only... have illegality? No, no. Were we <laughs> LMH, this would be very illegal. Oh, I see, I see. It's almost illegal because we don't really do chip tunes or... St- We've never done like a fan recreation or anything like that. It's n- um, but I think it's cool because it's a reimagination right. of, a, of a video, of a potential video game track. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting piece of video game history. But you're right. I mean, we don't do, um, like, the chiptune scene stuff. Yeah. Because that stuff wasn't made for video games. But yeah, this is a very, very interesting story. I had no idea. Yeah, this is back when Koji Kondo, I don't know, maybe he hadn't realized how important he was supposed to be. He's like, what? I just did, uh, you know, this golf game, and then I did Super Mario Brothers, and now they want me to do some sort of, uh, you know, Legend of Zelda game. Maybe I'll just, like, start transcribing classical music. On, you know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder like, why no. that was the decision. Yeah. <laughs> no, we want your talents. Stop that. This sounds great, but stop that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is very interesting. I wonder why he thought or felt that uh, an arrangement of a classical music piece was the thing that would fit this best. Because I'm assuming that is really what he thought. Or maybe he was told? See, I don't know the story. Mm. So I'm wondering if he was told by Nintendo to do that, or if that was just his idea. It sounds like from what Marsh knows, because Marsh is is in in the in. He's in in the in stuff. He knows the inside in. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like uh, Koji Kondo did make this decision himself, so I feel like uh, The Legend of Zelda would have seemed a lot less frightening if this had been the title theme. 
Yeah. I don't know about frightening, but... Ominous? I, less ominous? Less legendary or something? Less mm. uh, heroic? More whimsical, I think? Yes. Or... Yeah. Yeah, this sounds like someone who's going off on, a, an, a, on an adventure because they want to and they think that would be cool. Whereas the Legend of Zelda theme that we did get mm. feels more like this person has to go save the world because they're the only one who can. And mm. that's why they're taking up this quest. Yeah, it's inter- that's interesting to think. And you got to wonder, too, if Koji Kondo's music added so much to that um, atmosphere that it actually contributed to the lore and the meaning of that game. That's interesting, yeah. Like, this song is so great, Link gets reincarnated throughout history or whatever. (laughs) Instead of just like, this was a fun little adventure this guy in a hat had. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Can I put forth a fan theory about the original Legend of Zelda? Uh, You would be the first person to ever do that. But go ahead. Ever. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm forging new ground. I uh, When I played the original a couple of summers ago, I was reading the manual, and I'm pretty sure other people must have come to this conclusion too, but I wanted to ask the patrons directly, patrons, from your understanding of the Legend of Zelda story as put forth in the NES manual, did you get the impression that Impa had actually gone through all the dungeons before Link and made the maps? Because in the opening story in the manual, she's the one who tells Link about all the stuff that's been going on with Ganon and tells him about the dungeons. And and you have like the shapes of the dungeon layouts in the manual, but not all of the individual rooms. So I don't know. I just got the distinct impression that this old woman did all of this work to map out the dungeons, but didn't, you know, she missed a couple rooms and she didn't fight the evil denizens within. She had to go find the hero to do that. But I love thinking about that. I love thinking about, you know, the the princess's handmaiden or whatever, this elderly woman forging the path for the hero that would take it all the way to Ganon. Did anyone else think that? I must know. That's from the original game? That is my interpretation of the story that we got in the manual. Oh, cool. Link comes across Impa, and she's all like, Ah, the princess has been captured. There are all these dungeons. Here are some sort of maps. You must do it. You know, and then you find, like, the actual maps in the dungeons. So I like to think that she hid them in there for you to find. Anyway, that's just my... I like that. That's my headcanon. So she doesn't appear in the game? She's in the very beginning. Oh. I think she's the old woman who gives you the the magic potions and things like that. Oh, okay. That was always my uh, assumption, but I, I don't think it's actually specifically indicated that that is her. That could just be some other old woman. Mm. You know all these, these old women in RPGs. I, no, I like that story. That's very cool. Uh, so... I, I don't have a solid memory of that, and I didn't have the booklet mm-hmm. myself, so... We can uh, we can take a, a look at the actual manual sometime. But you had a whole bunch of stuff you wanted to talk about. Just things I wanted to pick up on that I said, oh, I'll talk about this. And then we traveled through time, and now I'm back. <laughs> yep. Um, 
Okay, so I was going to mention some podcasts that I thought used the podcast formula in an innovative way. Mm-hmm. Um, Pistol Shrimps Radio. That's a good one. It's these two comedians, and uh, they watch one of their wives play intramural basketball, and they call the game and just tell a bunch of weird jokes. They don't really understand basketball all that well, I don't think. Okay. But they literally are like going to these games and like hanging out and pr- producing content that could both be very insular for people who are a part of that intramural league or is just more generally entertaining to anybody who think they're funny. Who thinks they're cool. funny. Uh, Star Wars Minute, as you know, they uh, watch... They release a different podcast for each minute of each Star Wars movie. And they talk about that. And they organized their lives in such a way where they could do it every single weekday. Um, And then they'll they'll take like three or four months off between movies or something like that. Mm. Each podcast is about 20 minutes long. And then uh, lastly, last podcast on the left... Where two, one of the guys will do like a bunch of research on like a true crime or something like that. Um, and then he tries to tell the story to his other two friends who are comedians. And they just kind of try to make him laugh the whole time, basically. <laughs> but it works. So it's like a game of telephone with the story, sort of? <laughs> no, uh, it's a little bit more respectful than that. Like, they are interested, I think, in uh, conveying the information in a correct way, but there's just always this alternate joke narrative going along with it. That, okay. That it provides sort of the entertainment value of the show while you're, like, learning. That's fun. Yeah, so anyways, if there anybody's out there thinking of doing podcasts... Try to think of uh, something weird you can do with the format, because uh, I do think the future is going to learn a lot through this format. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, at least I will. <laughs> do it for Josh, everyone. Yeah, just do at it least. For at me. least. Yeah. The friends you've never met. Lastly, do it for us. Yeah. Lastly, I got cut off at the end of last week's episode um, before I got to talk about Bruce Iron's track, his recommendation. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, so I just wanted to say, pretty spooky. You know, a uh, pretty chill vibe overall, but spooky chill. I don't know. Yeah, definitely cool. in that dungeon vein. Yeah. It's nice. It was kind of like in the second uh, Ninja Turtles game for the NES, the arcade game, in that NES exclusive level where the weather has changed suddenly to winter. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what was going on. Oh. Bruce okay. Irons built a, a weather machine and was turning our spotless summer into a, a windy winter. Yeah. And we had to uh, we had to put the kibosh on that machine. And I also wanted to say it was tough in a way. Mm. Yeah, even though it was very delicate, it was also um, spooky enough to be tough, where yeah. uh, you're really confronting um, 
the darkest parts of your soul, potentially. Yeah, like psychologically tough. Yeah, psycho-tough. Psycho-tough. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it. Just wanted to touch bases with uh, the me who was here before I was whisked away. Mm-hmm. But now let's move on to the next... Oh, actually, Oh. before we move on, can I just say one last thought that I just had? Yeah. So, now that we're in this this Bolero section, it just occurred to me that there is a tune in Zelda Ocarina of Time called the Bolero of Fire. Oh. Is that perhaps a reference to this? Huh. Patrons. What do you think? Because I was going to say something like, and now we're here in this fiery bolero, and I'm like, I don't actually know what bolero means. Why am I thinking of fire? Oh, because of the bolero fire in Zelda. Oh! Snap, 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 went all my synapses. So, interesting. I wonder if that was a, a reference. It might not be. I mean, other things are called, like, the minuet of the forest, and so on and so forth. Nocturne of whatever. So, but I'd like to think that it was all related I think bolero. That's my that's my thought. What is a bolero though? Isn't it like a hat or something? It's I'm gonna assume it's a it's an actual type of uh, musical composition. Oh. But I don't actually know. Let's find out. What is a bolero? As I as I type type on my keyboard with my microphone right on top, I apologize. Let's do those things while we listen to this next track. Okay, um, sounds good. <clears throat> This was recommended by Nicholas. The game is Kingsway, the track Eastward. The composer, Landon Podbielski. Oh, he invented podcasts, by the way, if you didn't know that. Oh, nice. <clears throat> and this was recommended, I mean, this was published and released for the PC. Let's, I can't speak. Let's take a listen. <laughs>
Hello VGM Jukebox, this is Nick with a request. Lately the community has been talking about what kinds of VGM have a place on the podcast. We've talked about live synthesized music, we've talked about familiar and unfamiliar music as well as modern and classic offerings, and it got me thinking about this game called Kingsway. came out earlier 2017, so it is a modern game, but it's got a very classic feel. Kingsway is an adventure RPG where your user interface looks a lot like a Windows 95 or a Windows 3.1, early 90s operating system. What you're looking at graphically and what you're hearing emulate that feeling as well, and I would highly recommend this game. When I was a kid, I remember going over to my aunt's house, she had a computer, and it was magical to me because we didn't have one. I thought if you could type in this word and hit enter and this machine responds, or if you could move this mouse around and then that little arrow moves around and then you can open up a window and oh my goodness inside that folder there's another folder it, it just was like the possibilities are endless sorry I'm rambling but Kingsway sort of recaptures some of that magic the track I've selected is called Eastward it is the first track on the record and I hope it encourages you to give this adventure a try Alright, thank you, Nicholas, for that wonderful testimonial. So cute. Do you remember that feeling? That that was my favorite part, was his, his feeling of the possibilities are endless. That you open a folder, and there's another folder inside. I think... Everything is possible at that moment. I think I was just confused by that. Oh, really? Yeah, probably. Nested folders? Yeah, I You can store things in things in things on your computer? I did not figure that out that early. What year was this (laughs) from? Uh, well, this this is a modern game. Oh, it's a modern game. I don't actually know what, uh, what computer he was referencing. He did say there was a mouse involved, so it wasn't an Apple II. Oh. Um, I'm gonna guess, like, a Macintosh. That's gonna be my guess. Interesting. But I don't know. I don't know. Very interesting. So this is a song that's meant to convey the sort of feel of using a computer in the 90s? Something like that. That's what it sounds like. So he's mentioned that the game was designed to have a Windows 95 type feel. Mm. And I'm definitely getting Windows 95 from the audio as well, because it begins with a lot of um, like sound font sounds that you would hear coming out of your sound blaster but then somewhere in the middle you start getting these other synth pads that are like what you would get now maybe mixed in with what was back then so as you're having this sort of dual experience of playing a modern game that has the design of windows 95 you're also listening to music that is trying to evoke the feeling of playing a game on those systems but also giving you you know the sound that you would have now because it's the future. That is amazing. I'm looking at um, screenshots of the game now, and it just looks like somebody has a very unorganized desktop. <laughs> wow. Accurate. But it's how you, that's how you fight. That's weird. With your desktop? 
Yeah, it's a RPG in which you use a mock operating system to manage your adventure. Every element oh my of the gosh. game is a part of the operating system. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Oh man, Nicholas. Guess he's going to be playing this game later. <laughs> it sounds, yeah, it sounds pretty this fun. This guy. This actually sounds like, um, I wish I could remember the name, but I watched a trailer for a new game coming out in the future that was designed, it's a detective game, but it's designed like you're going through Web 1.0 in the late 1990s, and you're trying to find clues embedded in these old websites. The trailer looked amazing. It was so good. So I'll be playing that too. So I like this. Whatever, if there's a name for that genre, if there's a name for this genre of like retro, retro tech as part of your, yeah. Postmodern games. The postmodern gaming movement. I'm very into this for sure. I also really like this tune. I think it's, it's a very I think cute it's a good and Emily sweet. Jam. It is, yeah. It's yeah. very soft too, though. So, you know, I, yeah. in knowing that the game may be basically file management, I can see the chillness. But I was trying to imagine, you know, because we were talking about the Zelda that we didn't get with the theme song and how the different theme songs set a mood. Mm -hmm. So the mood I was getting from this was almost like cute scribble knots, very laid back adventure with, with stakes that are not really that high. So I'm kind of interested to see how the mood of the actual game is. It's also funny to think that it's almost like this song is written in the style of like opening jingles or something like that, like a, a OS. Oh, like startup sounds. Startup sounds, kind yeah. of, but not really. But um, <clears throat> it's trying to capture the era of an operating system, and I just think mm. it'd be funny if all uh, operating system updates came with like a new song that <laughs> you would listen oh, to. Oh yeah, you know what? True story. I was actually thinking for possibly my last host pick using a piece of music that plays while your device is connecting to the internet oh yeah this is like a this is a hidden jam situation is these uh your consoles trying to connect waiting music basically um i know that jupiter jazz was definitely uh aware of this when she recommended the the tune from uh i think it was pokemon gold the connecting to the the game boy printer tune so like this genre of connection music has been around for a long time but yeah i mean i don't remember windows 95 having tunes it would have the animation of the little paper flipping into a folder flipping into a folder flipping into a folder but uh you know setups typically didn't have music that would be a wonderful world to live in if yeah. all my updates came with good music. Yeah. And music was not about... Was all, was all about technology and not about um, celebrity or something like that. Anyways, I don't know. Have you heard this hot new jam from Windows 10? 
Yeah, man, it happens when I'm trying to network my printer. It's the networking the printer's jam. Oh, it's so good. I Guy in a cubicle one. across the room. That's my favorite. Yeah, exactly. We kind of talked about this before, but also the idea that uh, public areas would have special music to go along with them or something like that. Yeah, that would adjust for the weather of the day or the time of day. Yeah, but just made me think like, oh, the uh, streetlights just went on. You want to go hear the streetlights coming on song? something like that so this is making me think of i okay so i remember as a child watching some kind of informational spot on tv it wasn't a commercial so i have no idea what this was if it was a sort of like a bit that was on the news was it a commercial? Just kidding. I don't, I don't know. No, no nothing was being sold. It was just like, here's a thing that's a thing that's going to be happening in the future. But I don't remember the context, if it was within a kid's show or if it was on a kid's network or if it was the news. But it was a, a headband that you would put on and it would make music out of your brainwaves. And I was so into this idea. Of course, as a child, I kicked that up to an impossible 11 and thought that this thing could scan my brain and, and create music that I was thinking in my head. That's not how it's going to work. Oh, but yeah. coming off of the conversation that we just had, I really hope that that's the future. And I hope I live long enough to see it, that, that AI, if we do create AI, that there will be an AI created that will like look into your mind and kind of find out the sort of person you are and take into your environment and actually score your life as you're going through it. Mm. So not only would it be like, it's currently raining in Boston, so I'm going to be playing this music on piano with ambient rain sounds for Keyglyph, but also they'd look into my brain and be like, well, she really likes FM synth, so we're going to put that pad in channel one, you know, and she likes minor keys, so we're going to make it in a minor key. And uh, she just had a really nice lunch so she's feeling a little bit good about that, and it was uh, it was Japanese. So we're gonna put in some Japanese instruments. I do think our- that's a cool idea, but it does run the risk that our uh, our devices would always be feeding us the intellectual equivalent of baby food or something. <laughs> oh, that's you know? interesting that that's your concern, because my concern is that I'm basically saying. Give this computer access to everything about me, my thoughts, my biorhythms, where I am, which is so counter to what, how I actually live my life. But it's like, if somebody walked up to me and said, Emily, if you sell me your soul, you could walk around and listen to a personal soundtrack to your life, customized to you. Mm. I would have to think about that for at least... At least a few seconds, I'd have to think about it. Well, what if all the AIs by that point don't need uh, integration with the internet or something? So you just buy your own. Oh, sure, yeah. Then I would, then 100%. Yes, I would do that. Cool. Patrons, are you taking notes? <laughs> Video game developers and uh, folks working in the computer industry? Yeah, because we're about to go patent this. And uh, (laughs) whenever it happens in 2050 or whatever, we're going to sue Google for all all they're worth. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're going to get billions of dollars just for making this podcast. And I mean, what I'm thinking about is, and I'll finally have like my own tune on my deathbed. I'll generate my own music while I'm dying. 
to be the soundtrack of my death. Oh yeah, and you can, <laughs> a pop-up screen will show up in everybody else's head, which is like, do you want to listen to Emily's mu- uh, dying <laughs> music? And it's like, yeah. oh, nah. You're gonna get a notification <laughs> that's like, Keycliff is currently dying. dying. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to listen in? <laughs> yes, no, maybe. Remind me later. <laughs> Actually, remind me later. could you just generate a song based on my reaction to that news? Uh, oh, yeah. And then you basically have like a whole symphony. Oh, then people oh, could just a... upload their tracks and be like, you know. Oh, interesting. This is movement, movement of notification of Keyglyph's death oh, to follow yeah. the movement of Keyglyph's death. Anyway, what are you going to say? Oh, yeah, I wasn't thinking of sim- symphony, but that's interesting, like, that there would be some collaboration between your, the song that you want to listen to when you die, and the song that I want to listen to when you die. <laughs> oh, see, I wasn't even thinking that, but that's awesome, too. <clears throat> uh, yeah. That's really, and then maybe, oh, man, I want to live in this world. Like, I want my own personal theme. I do, I but I don't. I want to have a personal theme. You don't? I do, because, um... It does sound fun and everything, but I think the world of emotions that we live in is actually kind of more subtle and maybe substantive than an actual composition or something like that. It's almost like limiting if all of your emotions become a a composition, maybe. That's true. You'd have to, it would be sort of like, uh, well, I mean, we do have this phenomenon in social media, right? Like you have your profile picture and... It stays the same until you change it. And I know that, you know, a lot of times people will want to change it to reflect something that's going on currently or they feel different about themselves or something like that. Yeah. So maybe it would just be more like that. Like, I would generate a theme today and then maybe in a couple of years when I'm living in a... I moved to a new, an apart, a new apartment and I'm like, I got to generate a new theme because now my situation is different. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I get what you, what you mean because when you lock it in, you lock it in. It's not going to be as reactive to all the nuance and change in your life but I was thinking like if I had a theme and you had a theme and other people had themes then as I'm dying on my bed I could be like incorporate these people's themes into this as well because they were important you know yeah patrons are you still taking notes thank you (laughs) it's similar to our idea of uh, cities having their own themes or whatever right yeah but this would be that individuals have their own themes so right you know, you go to a party, all of a sudden people at the party are like, uh, they hear your melody kind of come in, you know what I mean? Yeah, Somebody yeah. else's beat gets mixed out. But that's, I mean, that's the reality of life. You're just thinking of putting life into like a composition or something like that. Yeah, which would be awesome. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> And, well, uh, maybe we'll live to see it. Maybe we'll live to see it. That's a good metaphor for what the show has been the whole time, I suppose. Uh, it's almost actually what this show has been the whole time. It's just That's a- really true, actually. <laughs> yeah. The soundtracks of people's lives, the music that has shaped them. Yeah. Their memories and yeah. meditations on death. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> So let's thank the patrons for creating this uh, beautiful symphony with us, against us, in yes, collaboration absolutely. with. Um, and they are St. John of Nerd Radio, 
today, Joe P, Marsh, and Nicholas. And thanks to Electric Boogaloo for vetting our composer information because they are a part of our lives as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're part of the code behind this whole operation. Yeah. And to everyone else who's written in and submitted suggestions, thank you so much for supporting our podcast and putting in so many over the years. Um, you can still email us at insertcoin at the vgmjukebox.com if you want to talk to us. And you can also send us snail mail at the VGM Jukebox PO Box 26959, Los Angeles, California, 90026. Did you say to uh, suggest a track? No. Okay. Because I, th- I think by now that is closed. Right. Not officially closed, but I believe that the submissions are in and they are set. One of the things that I wanted to increasingly do in lieu of that, though, was to recommend that people maybe share tracks, you know, in our comment section if you want to, or also on the VGM podcast fans uh, group. I think yes, people there would really appreciate uh, your thoughts and recommendations. And you know what's cool, too, just to interject here? Mm. There are a lot of other podcasts that are adopting this format more and more or mixing it in with what they're doing, at least in the VGM community. Yeah. Um, I know that last week we heard uh, there was a flyer up for Mike of Pixeltune Radio's, Pixeltune's Radio's new show. And uh, the last two tracks, I think they're planning for the last two tracks of every episode to be listener suggestions. So they're folding that in. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Pixel Tunes Radio had done episodes that were recommend recommendations in the past. We were on one of them. That was very cool. So that's neat. People are doing it as sort of like a special thing or they're, they're kind of putting it in, mixing it in a little bit, sprinkles on top. That's good. Keep doing that. Keep sharing with each other. Yeah. So maybe you can just find another podcast that's doing what we've been doing. Uh, and even if you don't like them, just submit a, re- a recommendation. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, follow us on Twitter at VGMJB. And if you want, you can find us on Twitter as separate entities. I am at Josh Adachi again. Emily is at Keyglyph. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or any podcatcher. And please remember to rate and review at the iTunes store. Join the group on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash the VGM Jukebox. And be sure to check the bulletin board at the end of the episode to see what music and video game related projects your fellow patrons are up to. Sometimes they're also podcast related projects, which yes, they are. I forgot to put that here. But I think this week's is going to be a podcast project. You're going to want to hear it, actually. So stick around for that. And if you want to be on a bulletin board, just let us know through Facebook or email. We will see you next week in Act 3. No, wait. Act... No, this is Act 3. This is Act 3. We're done. Okay. So um, we we don't have a dissertation that I'm aware of. Mm. But if we don't, we have a patron-submitted mixtape that we can slot in. Oh, cool. So maybe get excited for that, everybody. So you'll see somebody next week, hopefully. But... But that's it for Spotless Summer. Summer's ending. The gloaming Mm. is here. Dusk is upon us in the summer. Fireflies are beginning to come. Wait a minute. Hmm? Random question. I was told that you guys don't have lightning bugs. We don't really have lightning bugs. 
I, I that really blows my mind because they are such a they're such a thing over here and they're such a part of everyone's childhood. They're a big deal. So that is sort of uh, that's interesting for me to think about a region where you didn't grow up with. But thanks to the spotless summer zone, I finally get to experience it. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's just kick back and, and watch the, the sun set on Spotless Summer with all these lightning bugs coming out. And I do prefer the 8-bit version of lightning bugs where they're <laughs> a little square. Yeah. And like they don't fade on and off. They just, they're on or off. Yeah, they just blink. On or off. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, we'll see you in the next zone, which will be the final zone Ooh, of the VGM be? Jukebox podcast. And we don't, we don't know, or we do, we might. Well, we will see you there. And as you all know by now, you mean so much to us. And you always will. Hi everyone, I'm Ed, former co-host of Pixel Tunes Radio. I've been working on a new VGM podcast and I'm really excited to share it with everyone. It's called The VG Embassy and it launches on July 6th, 2018. On The VG Embassy, I'll take the role of the Prime VGM Minister. In each episode, I'll have a guest VG Ambassador on with me to share with us their VGM culture. Sometimes I might even do a solo show to talk about my own passions. I've got some great guests lined up, like Emily from the VGM Jukebox, The Messenger, Cam of Worms, Chiptuner Trevin Hughes, also known as Dread, The Dyad, and a ton of friends, fellow VGM lovers, and podcast hosts. Every show will be tailored to the tastes and style choices of the VG Ambassadors, so you can expect lots of surprises and incredible music. At the VG Embassy, we celebrate games, music, and the amazing individuals who create them. I hope you can join the celebration, too. Catch me on Friday, starting July 6th, by searching for the VG Embassy on iTunes or visiting thevgembassy.com. See you then! Hey there, patrons. This is Capsule J. It is once again time for the 4Job Fiesta. The 4Job Fiesta is a charity playthrough of Final Fantasy V that raises money for child's play. Unlike a regular game of Final Fantasy V, during the Fiesta, you don't get to pick your character classes. They are instead randomly assigned by a bot. Will you get an awesome team? Or will you end up like I did last year, with a squad of cream puffs like white mages? There's only one way to find out. If you'd like to take part in the Fiesta, or donate money to the charity, check out their website, forjobfiesta.com. If spectating is more your style, I'll be streaming my campaign on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash capsule j starting on june 14th either way it would be an honor to have some of my fellow patrons join me to support this great cause hope to see y'all out there